Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. I want to welcome you to Believer's Church, and this is Covenants. It's the secret to uh, flourishing uh, relationships, and this is lesson three. I want to open up with a story. I, um, Gene and I have been married now 31 years, and uh, about 24 years ago, <laughs> we were seven years in our marriage, we, we had this long argument, and uh, we just weren't able to get through, and we started about 10 o'clock at night, our kids were young, they were in bed, and um, right around 3 a.m., I was so frustrated, you know how ladies, they can articulate, in most cases, so much better than men, and then I'm not fast on my feet with, with verbally, so I'm not a good like, I have to think about something for a long time. And I became so frustrated, I just punched the wall in our bedroom. And it was between the, the studs, so my hand went all the way through. I just made this huge hole in the wall. And that didn't help the situation at all. And, and uh, so we go on, and pretty soon it's 5 a.m. in the morning. And it's Sunday morning, so I have to come do services. And I didn't sleep, and we fought all night. We had no closure so I went and showered, and then I, back then I put on my three-piece suit and my really dressy shoes, and that's how I did service. And I, I came and did service. I did the two services on Sunday morning, and some of you are now, you were here, you're like, oh, that's the sermon. We walked out saying, that's the worst sermon we ever heard him preach. <laughs> now you know why. And, and uh, so then I did the service. I was in a cloud. I don't even know what happened that day. And then I drove home, uh, didn't even greet, just jumped in my office and got in my car. And uh, I had to sleep, so I slept, and then later that night, it took us another couple hours, and we finally uh, brought it to closure. That was incredibly a lot of work. And uh, uh, today we're going to talk about marriage, and I'm going to talk about the marriage covenant. And I just want you to know up front, I've had people ask me in the lobbies at different times, very few, but some, they go, aren't you embarrassed when you tell on yourself? And, and I go, no, I don't. I don't I, just don't get embarrassed, uh, so it doesn't bother me, but I, I tell them I do it to help people, um, because uh, there are people sitting out here that need to know, uh, you know, I struggle with a marital relationship. I had to grow. I had to mature, and if, if I'm having to do it, and I'm a Bible school graduate, and I'm teaching the Bible all the time, that makes all of us feel comfortable. I mean, because we, we all know, hey, we, we have to work on this thing called marriage, and I really believe what helped me, um, Gene and I stay together, is we understood what I want you to walk out remembering today. Marriage was meant to be a covenant, not a contract. And if we can understand that, we stuck it out because we knew we, we had made a covenant before God, and, and that helped us work on it and put effort into it. And I know we live in a culture today that doesn't even see marriage as a, a contract, and we have so many people cohabiting, and you'll hear me say this over and over. I'm not teaching today to make anybody feel condemned. Uh, I believe this generation's cohabiting because they just haven't heard the Bible. They don't know what the Bible says, and we grow up in a godless society, and nobody hears, and, and so I'm not saying you're bad. I'm just saying, once you understand marriage, you say, whoa, I want to I get on this thing the, the way God created it to be. So I'm not saying this to condemn you, and I also want to say this up front, a disclaimer, what, whatever we want to call it, if you're here and you've been divorced, I want you to know this isn't about what happened in your marriage in the past. This is about what's going on right now, whoever you're married to. 
And I realize a lot of people in this room that have been divorced, it's not even your fault. I mean, you did everything you could, and sometimes you just can't get the other person to change, and, and, you, and sometimes you have to walk away. Then there are some of you, and here not as many, that, you know, you did blow it. You were the reason the marriage failed. And aren't you guys glad for the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God that he forgives us? I don't know about you, but I think we should thank God for it. It's, it's important. And uh, I think it's so important to know that, that you know, God forgives us. And, and, and the goal here is just to say, all right, here's where I'm at now in my life. And I just want to get better at this thing. I want to grow in this. I want to I honor God in my marriage. And that's, that's what it's about because all of us have blown it big time in all kinds of areas. And thank God for his mercy because that mercy is necessary for each and every one of us. Some of you, you know, you don't plan on being married. Maybe, you know, you're, uh, you've been married. Maybe you say, I'm not going to do it again. Uh, whatever it might be, this is an incredible message for you because God's called you to be a mentor to younger people. And you're going to be able to mentor people, your kids, your grandkids, and other folks. And you need to understand uh, some of the things I'm going to teach today. This is really, really important. And for all of us that are married, um, I've gotten better than the stories I'm going to share, but I'm still growing. And, and, uh, and so this gives all of us hope. Let's keep growing. Let's keep going up to the next level in this thing called marriage. I saw a stat not too long ago, and this stat shocked me. And the stat goes like this. Um, it goes, in the United States, 17% of all divorces that occur are due to adultery on the part of either or both of the parties. When I first saw this, I was shocked because if you would have asked me what's, what, what percentage of people divorce because of adultery, I would have told you 80, 85% were because of adultery. And when I saw this stat, it gave me great hope. This stat means this, 83% of failed marriages have nothing to do with adultery. And that, that is that isn't good because that tells me divorces happen because people don't know how to communicate. They need their skills brought up. And people don't understand the roles that God created the husband to play and the wife to uh, play. So if we, can, if we can grow in these areas, it changes everything. So today I'm not going to deal with the communication issues, although it will, it will definitely overflow some. But we have an incredible connect group here for marriage. They're in their third week right now. I encourage you in the fall jump into that when it starts again. Uh, it will work on all those other skills. Today, I just want to deal with, hey, it, what, what's God called me to do and the attitude I'm going to have as a husband? What's he's at, what, what has he asked the wives to do? And when it comes to understanding that marriage was meant to be a covenant, not a contract, uh, this is important for us to understand. And, and it goes like this. Uh, covenants surrender privileges and accept responsibilities. Contracts guard privileges and dodge responsibilities. And when we begin to realize why God created a covenant, it's about surrendering privileges and accepting responsibilities. And that did not come easy for me. I grew up, you know, in an ethnic Italian home, and uh, then I accepted Christ at 19. And I, I have to tell you, God had to really grow me. I, I can guarantee you there's no one in this room that was more self-centered or selfish than I was. Uh, and, and, and in every service, I had someone come up in the lobby and they say, I, I was worse than you, and I was, maybe we tied, but nobody's worse than me. I, and marriage is all about surrendering privileges and accepting responsibilities, and that was tough for me. Um, when we began to have kids, when we had Joe Jr., uh, I remember the weekend where Gina went to a ladies' retreat, 
and it was my first time um, alone with my, my son. And uh, so Gina showed me how to do the bottle thing and everything. And um, so I'm sitting there feeding him a bottle, and all I can think about is this is going to take forever. So, so, um, so I took the nipple off, and I made a bigger hole in it with a big pin. <laughs> and then I start feeding him. And a lot of it dripped out the side, but I got done much quicker. And you think the father would say, what a precious moment. I'm all alone with my, my son, my first time alone. I'm like, I got to get this bottle done so I can put him to bed and, 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 and relax, you know. And, and uh, that's how my mind's working. So if God can grow someone like me, I, I'm telling you, he, he can grow anybody in this place. And, and all the husbands in the lobby, they thank me for my stories because, uh, you know, I say, wow, that... That makes it easier on me when, when we see that God was able to grow you, buddy. And uh, I say, yeah, yeah, God was able to grow me. And let me show you how God intended this to be, because he intended it to be a covenant. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, take a look. He created Adam and Eve, and, and this is the next thing we read, Genesis uh, chapter 2 and, and verse 23. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now the phrase one flesh is talking about the sexual act. The word united, it's the Hebrew word uh, devak, and it's talking about covenant. It literally means to glue together, and it paints the picture of something being melded together, two things being melded to where you can't you can't separate them. They, you can't even tell they were two. And, and when we get into marriage, that's what God's doing. And this is important to understand. It doesn't matter if you were married by a pastor like me, a priest, or a justice of the peace. It doesn't matter. God witnesses every marriage. Uh, marriage was created before the church, before uh, the old covenant, before the new. It, God created it to be a human thing. It's a human thing. And, and when we enter into that covenant, God actually witnesses it. He actually unites us. And there is a problem the Jewish people were having uh, when the book of Malachi was written. They had rebelled against God. They walked really far from God. And, and we still do that today many times. We have to, God has to bring us back. But here's what they're doing. They're praying and saying, God, why don't you answer our prayers? God, why aren't you protecting us? God, why aren't you blessing us? You blessed our parents and... God, you're nowhere to be seen. It's a brass heaven. Nothing's happening. And so God answered him. He told him three reasons. And one of the reasons is found in Malachi 2. This is one of three, and we're only going to look at this one today. Malachi 2.14, and it says this. You ask why. Why aren't I blessing you? It's because the Lord is the witness between you and your wife of your youth, and, and you have been unfaithful to her, though so she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Verse 16 goes on to say, the man who hates and divorces his wife says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. A couple things I want to point out here. And again, if, if you had a failed marriage, failed marriage, this isn't about you feeling terrible. This is about you saying, I'm going to go on and I'm, I'm, I'm going to walk in the principles of God because God knows we fell. That's why he sent Jesus. But take a look at this. The Lord is the witness. Again, he witnesses marriages. He's there when we're married. doesn't matter who does it. And, and, and then the wife of your youth, is the, he's talking about their first marriage, the person they married first. And, and if you've been married a second time, it's now referring to that person. 
And listen to what he says. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. And so he calls it a covenant. And these guys, for any reason they could think of, they were, they were just saying, I'm tired of you. And they made a reason up and they would write a bill of divorcement and just throw their wife out. They were just being selfish. If you give a guy control without God, uh, take a look at third world countries. They're crazy. A woman becomes a possession. She, she becomes property. And that's what unregenerated men will do without God intervening. And that's what we see all, all over the world that we live in. And here in America, thank God we have more light, right? But we, we still will try to get as much into it as we can. And, and, uh, but, but he talks about divorce, and he says, the heart of God is for us to protect our wives. And so he's bringing it in from a contract to a covenant to something that's really precious that he put together. And that's, that's what I want to talk about today. Marriage was meant to be a covenant, not a contract. And what I want to do is... I want to talk about the man's role, the woman's role. Many years ago, uh, in 1983, Gina and I were engaged. We weren't even married yet. I did my first wedding. We, we started the church in August of 83. We were married in November, and I did my first wedding. I think it was October. And I needed to write a ceremony. I tried everybody that had one. I didn't like anybody's. So I wrote my own. And in writing it, uh, I, I saw something in this verse we're going to look at where God said, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church. And I thought, how does Jesus love us? So I did all this research way back then, and, and, and it, it doesn't mean I understood it. I just did the research. And uh, it was all up here for a long time. And, and I came up with this beautiful ceremony, how Jesus loved the church three different ways, and, and, and all this beautiful stuff. And, and then over the years, God's opened up my eyes to it. And uh, what I want to show you as, as we open this up is, uh, the role of the man. And most men, I know I was this way uh, when, I, when I first met Christ. The verse that stuck out to me is the man is the head of the wife. I love that verse. I took it as the man is the boss. And growing up ethnic, you know, that, I used that verse to my advantage. And so it's like, kind of like, honey, I'm the boss. Uh, and, and I didn't even want to dialogue. I just said, I'll make the decisions for the household, you know. Poor, poor wife. Say, poor Gina. And uh, uh, just poor Gina. So uh, we're on our honeymoon it's, you know, the first morning we go out to eat. We forgot our camera. So uh, I, I said, we need to buy a camera. And we said, yeah, we should get a camera. And we walk out of the uh, restaurant and this girl hands us a flyer and says, if you sit through um, uh, a presentation for time sharing, uh, you, you, they'll give you a free Polaroid camera, which was the big thing back then. I told Gina, let's go. She said, I don't want to do that. Let's not do it. I said, woman, we're going. So, so, uh, <laughs> almost like that, and, and uh, so, so we go to this presentation, and, and I'm the, I can't say no to a bad salesperson, and these are the best sales people I've ever met in my life, and so they're, they're telling this presentation, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, and Gina's looking at me saying, honey, we don't have the money, honey, we just got married, honey, we shouldn't do this, and I'm just like, honey, I really feel this is what God wants me to do. You throw the God card out when you're having trouble, and, and so, so then, uh, the guy walks away, he sees we're having trouble, and we're arguing like crazy. So then he comes back, and he brings a poem, and he reads it to us, and leaves it. It's a poem on, a poem on procrastinators. And uh, so then he's getting me and pulling me in, you know. And, and, and so finally, I just looked at Gina, and I said, we're going to do this. And, uh, and so we bought it. Biggest mistake I ever made. And, and I say that because I somehow thought being the head of a relationship meant I was the boss. And, and really, it doesn't mean that at all. 
The fact that God calls us the head of the relationship means we're called to play the role of Jesus in the marriage, Jesus, what Jesus is to the church. We're called to play that role. So uh, I want to open that up to us and, and help us understand it more clearly. So listen to Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. And this is an incredible section of Scripture. And... Um, other translations say, husbands, love your wife in the same way Christ loves the church. So there's our example. I told you about the marriage vows that I wrote. And um, I want to show you the three things, the three ways Jesus loved us, and just open this up to you. And, and I want to tell you up front, ladies, guys, husbands, wives, I have not perfected this, but I put it out there as, as the goal. This is how I live my life for my marriage because I have to love my wife the way Christ loves the church. It's all about laying our lives down. So here's the first thing. Uh, Jesus loved first. Or that means he's the initiator of love. You, you know, the Bible teaches us that we love him because he first loved us. So as a Christian, and I think everyone can relate, you come to church, you read your Bibles, you read how much he loved you and what he did for you, and it's like, wow, you did that for me? And it just, it just makes you want to be closer to him. You want to be closer because he loved you first. And for me, um, I've always been uh, a person that keeps track like it's your turn. I already did something nice. Now you need to do something nice. So in our early marriage, I didn't have a pad. I could do it in my head. But it's like, I, I did something nice yesterday. It's your turn now. I'd wait months till she took her turn. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, even if I didn't say it, I'm waiting. I did something nice. Now you do something nice. And, and God's saying to the man, don't keep score. He's saying every morning when you wake up, you be the initiator of love. You do kind things. You do wonderful things for that marital relationship. And again, being selfish, that's something I have strived to grow in. But you, we love first. Then, then we love regardless. The, the Bible teaches us that while we were still dead in our trespasses and sins, Jesus loved us. The ultimate act of love is he died for us. We didn't even want him to die for us, mankind. But he died for us. I was a rebellious young man, and I didn't meet Jesus until 19, and I wanted nothing to do with, with him until that moment, and guess what? He loved me regardless, and now as a Christian, I have all these faults, and man, in my early years, I had huge faults, and uh, still have a lot, and guess what? When I read the Bible, he doesn't say, Joe, you're a jerk. Um, Joe, you're so stupid. Joe, you're the worst. He doesn't say that. He loves me, and I read all these things about how much he loves me, and, and I tend to be a nitpicker, nitpicker uh, by, by birth, so I was very critical in our early marriage. I just would, anything she did wrong, I would tell her. Our, our, we came home from our honeymoon. It's our first day home, and she made this meal, and she did a salad. She goes, how'd you like the salad? And I said, it wasn't good. And, and uh, <laughs> just real critical. I said, the carrots are too big. I said, I have to cut, I should have to cut carrots in a salad with a knife, you know. I said, cut them up smaller like my mommy did. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, like, so, you know how Italian guys are, mama wipes us and everything. So, uh, you know, it's like, come on, be like my mama. And, and uh, so I made her cry that, that first day. And, and uh, I, I agree. And, and uh, you know what I've had to learn that my... I'm not to be critical. I just love her for who she is. And, and then she, she, she's, she loves me back because I, I give her that 
selfless love. And, you know, I, now if you're in here and your wife had an affair, you've got to have a sit down and deal with that. You understand what I'm saying. But, but for everyday things, it's, most men were so critical, uh, and, and some of you not nowhere near my problems, but um, God can grow us, and, and, and that's our responsibility. Jesus loves us that way. And then we're to love radically. To love radically means we, we lay our life down uh, for our wives. And I don't believe there's a husband in here that wouldn't, if someone pulled a gun out and was going to shoot your wife, I don't believe there's a husband in here that wouldn't jump in, in, in front of their wife and take the bullet. And if you're smart, you'd pull out your gun and shoot him first. But, um, <laughs> but you'd take the bullet, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you take the bullet? I think it's harder to lay your life down every day. That's the t that is tough to do. It's easier to take a bullet because to lay your life down means you put your wife first. Can you imagine that? You, you, you put her first above yourself. And I've already told you how much problem that I have with that in my natural state. So just this past January, um, Jean and I are going to fast. And, um, you know, she told me, hey, I'm going to fast. And she said, would you do the grocery shopping? Because we split the home things up. She said, would you grocery shop while I'm fasting? And, and uh, she said, I'm going to be weak and it's freezing. And, and I said, yeah, but I really didn't want to. And, and, and uh, now when I fast, I, I was doing a water fast. After three days, I have more energy than I have now when I eat because I, I have a year's supply of energy that I just carry around with me. So, so <laughs> I go into ketosis and I'm like, whoa, I have so much energy. It's incredible. And, and uh, it does, Gina doesn't have that energy pack. So um, I did it one week and I just told her after one week, here's what I said. I said, honey, I believe when you fast, you should suffer. I don't think I should have to suffer <laughs> while you're fasting. You should suffer and get the groceries because I'm suffering. You should suffer. And I, she just, I saw her everything just ready to cry. And, and, uh, and I realized I hurt her really bad. And I realized I'm just a selfish guy. So I go, I, I just walk out and I, I, and I said, I'm sorry. And I walk out and, and I prayed and I said, God, when will I actually mature spiritually? Because <laughs> it's been a long time. And, and, uh, and I just prayed, and I said, God, help me, help me get myself out of this terrible thing I did. And, and, and God doesn't speak to me often, but he spoke to my heart. He said, why don't you just take over the grocery shopping forever? And, and, uh, and I, I, said, I said, I will, I will. And, and I've been doing it ever since, and, and I actually have joy when I do it now. But why did I do it? And I'm not saying guys have to, some guys, it, you wouldn't even know where to start, but I worked, in, I worked in grocery stores, so I understand the whole deal when I was young. And, and, uh, and so I, I, I do that, and, and for me, it's just that radical love. Okay, I know this is hard for you. I'm, I'm going to do this, which is hard for you. And that's what God's asking us to do. You know how we talked about verbally and loving verbally? Um, really cool uh, section of Scripture in, in the Bible that I want to I end this segment for men. And, and men, you may, you may think I'm picking on you, but I'm not. The reason I'm taking longer for men is because we're responsible for success in the marriage. Not that you won't have some failures, but the ladies, I'm only going to take a few minutes on you, and uh, it's only because I, I, I see that one thing that God's asked ladies to do, and we'll talk about it. But um, let's look at this verse. It's incredible, and it reads like this, uh, Ephesians 5:26. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with hol holiness. Ladies, just pull this verse out of context and use it to go shopping. And then, um, 
Verse 28 says, and, and, and that is how husbands ought to love their wives. Whoa. Uh, they're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. And, and, and isn't that true? If we can build our wives up, aren't we doing ourselves a favor? Um, but notice this. Jesus said the way he builds us up is by speaking life. And so when we read the Bible, don't we hear life? That's why I try to minister with life and, and try not to just be nasty up here and mean. And um, You have to say the truth, but I think you can say it nice. And, and, um, and, and so uh, he's telling us, if you speak life over your wife, you'll pull the best out of her because Jesus pulls the best out of us. You sit through a good message where you're not being condemned. Doesn't that make you want to strive and go further? That's what God, and God's saying to the husbands, we can pull the best out of our wives. And as I told you, uh, by nature, I'm critical. So I've grown in this area. I'm not perfect, but guys, we can grow in this area. And if we love our wives like this, it's amazing the position that puts them into. And, and, and then I think this is a fascinating fact. This is the top three reasons women have affairs. And take, take a look at this. Number one reason women have affairs, low self-esteem. Uh, number two is emotionally starved. And number three is anger. Do you notice the top three reasons aren't because your husband's not, you know, the hunk or whatever. Uh, low self-esteem, emotionally starved. Anger has to do with payback because the man had an affair. But, but low self-esteem and emotionally starved can we all agree that if we love our wife like Christ loves the church and grow in that, that, that they'll never be uh, emotionally starved and they won't have low self-esteem? And that's something we grow in, uh, and we can all grow in that, guys. And, and again, that, I wasn't real good at that. I wasn't real good at sitting and talking, but it's something God can grow all of us in. So, ladies, I want to take a minute with you, and I want you to know ahead of time, all this is been approved by the boss of, of our marriage. Tina approved all this. <laughs> I am the head, but I gave her permission to run things. Okay, here, here we go. <laughs> Ephesians 5.33 says this. However, each one of you uh, also must love his, his wife as he loves himself. And then listen to this. And the wife must respect her husband. Husbands crave respect more than sex. I'm telling you, even when they're young, they crave respect more than anything else. And here's what respect means. To honor and admire profoundly and respectfully. To regard with respect tinged with awe. And I stand before you as a person that doesn't deserve this. I don't deserve it. And when my wife treats me this way, there's times when I go to bed at night and I just say, Lord, does she live with me? And, and uh, does she know who I am? And, and, and yet, what it does for me when she respects me like this is amazing. And I think most women know this, but your husband will never be the guy in the romance novel. It's just not going to happen. And the reason it's not going to happen is because we're guys. And, and uh, that's not a guy in that romance novel. And it just, it just won't happen. Uh, can we improve? Yeah. Can we grow? Hey, yeah, we can grow and I'm growing. We're all growing. But it's never going to be this guy that's the knight in shining armor. So what God's asking a woman to do is respect him with that tinge of awe right where he's at. And if a guy's not respected by his wife, uh, he'll become very bitter and very angry, and it's not pretty when you put a husband in that place. Now, in the early days of our church, um, I did all the counseling. I didn't have a staff. And so I picked Thursdays, and I would counsel all day Thursday, and I, I did about seven every Thursday. And, and uh, being that I'm ADD, that was tough for me. And, and, uh, and, and so I, I, 
I would do those, and I would have husbands and wives come in, and right in front of me, the wife would degrade the husband, speak terrible, and it wasn't like he was perfect. I'm not saying the guy was perfect, but she would tear him apart. He's this, he's that, he's, you know, he's no good, and he does, you know, and, 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 and I would sit there. I'm a young man now. I'm, I'm young. I'm not married all that long, and I'm having my own issues. And, and, uh, and, and I would look at the woman. I'd say, listen, I know he's not perfect, and, and we need to work on him, and we will work on him, but you can't disrespect him at this level and expect him not to be very bitter with you. You have to begin to respect him. And then I would go into talking to the woman. And I found when a woman respects her husband, I mean, he'll, he'll, it just releases him uh, to be in this place of freedom, just to know you're respected. And I notice when we both play our roles, it, it kind of goes like this. Listen to the, I have one more scripture for you. It goes like this, 1 Corinthians 7, 4. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. And it's just a decision to serve. And I love this quote. Success in marriage does not come merely through finding the right mate, but through being the right mate. And I know when I was single, I, I just thought, man, if I marry the right person, I'll have a perfect marriage. And then I found out I'm not perfect. And I thought, oh, I have to work on myself. And that's why believers, you know, one of our core values is no perfect people are allowed to come here. So if you're perfect, you can't come back next week. And, and uh, we just don't allow perfect people here. And, and, and we all know why, because there are none. And, and uh, everybody is welcome because we're all going to grow together. I trust that I helped you see something and learn something. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let's pray. Lord, there, all of us come together right now in prayer. There are some marriages here on the rocks right now today. Maybe both are here. Maybe one of the mates are here. Lord, we pray for you to help them walk through this and come out more united than ever. Lord, do what only God can do in their marriages. Fix their marriages, Lord. Help them walk through it. And Lord, I realize sometimes one of the couples goes crazy and nothing can be done. But Lord, help those to fix that can be fixed. And help us all, Lord, now all of us, we're praying, help us walk in our roles at a higher level. Grow us, Lord God. And Lord, thank you for making it real that, uh, that marriage was meant to be a covenant, not a contract. And Lord, I ask you grow me this week and make this more real to me, make this more real than each and every one of us in this room, male and female. Lord, I thank you for the great marriages that are here. Make our marriages greater and stronger, Lord God. If you can agree with that prayer, would you say amen to it? Amen. Now heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stay in an attitude of prayer. If you're here and you're not sure if you're forever, you're not sure if you were to die, if you'd go to heaven or hell, as a church, we, we exist to connect you with God. We want to connect you with God. We want to help you straighten that out in your life right now you know the bible teaches us that we we all have sin we all have uh, fallen short of god's standards all of us have and that's why jesus came jesus is god the son he created everything and took on a human form and uh he walked among the among us he was tempted in every way as us but he was ne never sinned and he came to die he died on that cross and gave his life for us and he was buried, spent three days, three nights in the heart of the earth, and God raised him up from the dead, and he's alive. And Jesus said, whoever calls on my name, I'll save him. He, he says, whoever trusts in me, they'll never be ashamed. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Listen to what I'm asking. This is really important. I'm not asking you to join our church. I'm not asking you if you're a member of a Christian church. I'm not asking you if you were water baptized as a baby or an adult. All great things. Here's what I'm asking. 
Can you remember a day in your life when you made it real with Jesus, personal? I'm not asking about rote prayers you might have prayed in a church, which, which, which are fine. Can you remember a day when you said, Jesus, I believe you're the Savior, and I make a decision today to accept you and follow you. If you can't remember that day, Jesus said when you have that moment, he says, everything changes. I wash your sin away. I give you eternal life. Heaven's your future destination. If you're here and you say, Pastor Joe, I believe that. I'm ready to pray today. Would you pray with me right now? Everyone else in the room, would you help them pray? Just say this after me. Say, Lord God, I realize I'm a sinner. I, re I repent for all my sins. And this day I give my heart to Jesus. Jesus, I make a decision to follow you today. Thank you for saving my soul. Amen. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.